Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Welcome to the podcast today. It's my great pleasure to have on as a guest, Matt Amundsen. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jeremy. If you have not run into Matt and his content is amazing to follow on LinkedIn and elsewhere, he is the VP of Marketing at Everstring. They are a modern B2B account data platform. Today, we're going to talk data-driven prospecting and marketing. So as usual, trying to add as much value. would love to get started with two questions. Matt, I'm going to ask you the first one right off the bat here, which is, what is your favorite sales book of all time and why? My favorite sales book of all time is Influence by Robert Cialdini. I use it beyond just sales and marketing. I use it in my everyday life. I use it with the folks that you know I know, and I use it to get the things that I want. It's a great read. It's a quick read. Yeah. I mean, I use it to get like hotel upgrades and stuff. It's just... It's a part of my life in a way that uh, that most business books don't sort of trip into that aspect. All right. I got to ask, how do you use the principles from Cialdini's book to get a hotel upgrade? Because I think people are probably wondering that right now. I certainly am. <laughs> I, I think the thing that a lot of people forget is really and truly everything is up for barter. So much of what we purchase whether it's products or services on a day-to-day basis, we just look at the list price and say, that's what it is. So, you know, talking like I come to Atlanta, I'll be there next week a lot and I will use this to upgrade at the W cause I always do. I'll go check into the hotel and I'll ask for an upgrade and they'll usually just give it to me. But if they don't, I'll say, Oh, you know, I'm a Starwood member. I think, um, I think I'll just walk across the street and stay at the West end. If you guys don't have any suites available or upgraded rooms, so simple things like that, and I never say it with any malice, but I always just say it very matter-of-factly in a way where the concierge is like, oh, you know, that's true, and Starwood points are definitely very important, so I could see why this guy would want to go across the street. I'm just going to make sure that we keep his business. I often ask people as a second question for people to get to know you, the first thing you ever remember selling, but I, I feel like I need to mix it up a little bit, so I'm going to ask, what is your most unusual hobby? First thing I, I sold, I'm, I'm just going to answer your question, even though you don't want to ask it. Uh, papers, I had a newspaper route. I think a lot of people who are in business that are uh, in my age or around my age range often had newspaper routes. What my like most passionate uh, hobby is, is actually mechanical wristwatches. I'm a big watch aficionado. I love that type of engineering that you don't see that much anymore. You know, everything's gone very, very digital and to have... You know, something from basically a century past that exists on your wrist that's like a a museum to the past in a way. Well, we will shift back into the passion for business now. So we promise to talk a little bit about data-driven prospecting and data-driven marketing. That's a pretty broad topic. Where do you want to start? I spent the first seven years of my career working in food, beverage, and consumer packaged goods. I graduated from UCLA, went right to work at Red Bull, and it was an awesome experience. The business grew from about $400 million to $2 plus billion during my tenure there. And then I worked for a sunglasses brand, a company called Foster Grant, which is actually the largest retailer of sunglasses here in the United States. And then when I made the transition to Silicon Valley, I really lucked out with this amazing opportunity at a brand I think probably a lot of people know called Marketo. And I started there initially as an SDR, but quickly made my way to being an SDR manager and ended up running sales development across the brand. There were a couple things about 
sales development in you know 2011 and 12 that are very different than they are today. Behavioral data was probably the most important indicator of buying intent that we had access to at that point in the B2B world. Behavioral data being content that they were consuming, that sort of thing? Yeah, content downloads, visits to the website. I always said that if a lead had downloaded a piece of content and then viewed our pricing page, that was probably the best combination of behavior that was indicative that that person would engage with an SDR and eventually book a meeting and talk to a salesperson and ultimately become a customer. You know, I was sort of blown away. And I think much of the B2B world was blown away by you know, the power of behavioral data that was being wielded and, and sort of put in the hands of marketers, salespeople, sales development folks from brands like Marketo and Eloqua, HubSpot and Pardot at the time. And then, you know, a lot just changed. You know, every brand just started to operate that way. And behavioral data started to become less indicative of buying intent. And, you know, I sort of longed for what are the next pieces of data that could be out there? And one of the things actually I, I discovered during my time at Marketo is this really, really bizarre indicator. And it was from the account, not from the person. If the uh, prospect worked at a brand that had a, a multicolor logo, they were about 100 times more likely to buy from us than one with a single color logo, which is kind of interesting and sort of led me into this quest to find a data provider that could give me more information, not just on the person, but on the brand that they work for. I imagine that the correlation on that one is that this company has invested money in a brand refresh, is more modern. I think Google was probably one of the you know more recent companies to really start that trend. And then people saw that success and then began to redo their logos with that multicolor approach. Is that what you think is going on there? I think it's what was happening there for sure. Having a multicolored or multidimensional logo, it says something. It says like, hey, I want you to come to my website and interact. I want you to open my emails and, and take action. The flatter single color logos were indicative more of not only where a brand was in its maturity curve as it related to marketing, but also you know the types of marketing that companies like that would do. You know, we often found when we engage with brands with a single color logo, their whole go-to-market strategy revolved around maybe four seasonal big trade shows. And they would do 95% of their business from those shows. And so, you know, they didn't need to have this big digital presence. They didn't need to always be engaging. They just knew their customers were going to come see them at the trade show and buy, you know, their ice makers or their machinery for factories or whatnot. That was the entirety of their go-to-market strategy. So for Marketo, we obviously wanted to, to be working with brands that cared about engaging with customers on a regular basis. This data was there, but there was no way at the time to sort of quantify that. And then there was no way to do it sort of across an entire total addressable market to be able to filter out the bad versus the good. And, you know, the thing about Marketo in those days, we were putting out such compelling content. And a lot of brands do it still even to this day, where you're drawing in all these prospects that are outside of your CDP or your ICP. And so you're getting engagement and then you're sort of handing it off to your sales team and your sales team is saying, well, I'm glad that they, you know, read your, which Game of Thrones character are you? But that doesn't mean that they want to buy ERP software. You know, there needed to be this sort of second wave of data that spoke to this person is a good lead who works at a good brand that's sort of giving off signals that they're looking to buy. 
the behavioral data alone was not enough and you were struggling to find, uh, I guess, a vendor who would image map the number of colors or the dimensionality of the logos. So what did you go looking for as the missing piece? After Marketo IPO'd, I stayed on for the you know standard six months and moved on to another brand that people are probably familiar with called Tibco. And it was really there that I was like, okay, Tibco has an even bigger total addressable market than Marketo has. But I was trying to figure out ways to distill it down. And I looked at all kinds of vendors that were selling these types of data. And in 2014, there was this explosion of brands that are, that are very similar to EverString. But what those brands were doing at the time was, again, just more information on the leads, which was not something I was struggling with. That data was not speaking to, does a company actually a good fit for the product that we're selling? And so, you know, EverString was a first company that I found that was focusing on accounts where everyone else was still focusing on leads. And when you can distill down your total addressable market to the accounts that matter, whether you buy that data from EverString or any other brand for that matter, when you can distill down to the brands that matter and spend your time, your focus, and your energy on those brands, there's so much less wasted time and effort. There's so many fewer cycles that run for 18 or 20 months. There's so much more engagement with the content that you're marketing to. And there's so many more replies as an SDR. And so that was what I wanted to get to. And ultimately, that's what I found at EverString and decided to make that a part of my career for what's been about four and a half years now. There's just so many sources and they're beginning to coalesce with people looking at all the signals simultaneously. There's sort of account data, call that firmographic data or technographic data that you get, the individual lead data, whether that's the seniority and title and so on. And now there's this new wave of data around intent, one of which you mentioned earlier, right, was that behavioral data of coming to the website and engaging otherwise. But now there's all those other folks out there like G2 Crowd or other people who are looking at web traffic off of your own website. I do feel there's a big complexity in integrating all of that into a single score. I think you have to look at those signals in multitude as opposed to how do we put them all together into a single score and, and use that to prioritize. I think that that becomes too complex to say like, well, this company is a great fit. The intent data is low, but I'm going to give it a score because great fit or you know, the inverse of that, which is it has a lot of intent. It's a medium business or, or potentially even worse. But they're really looking for a solution like ours, so let's hand that off to sales. What people are getting wrong with that intent data is they're using that as a trigger to do a handoff between sales and marketing or marketing to sales. And I think that that's a big mistake. I think intent data is a good signal. It's a good indicator that something is happening. But it's definitely not a great indicator that that person wants to talk to a sales rep at a specific brand. When a company is exhibiting intent, it falls upon the marketing department to drive engagement. And to me, that's where people need to be sort of operationalizing intent data as part of marketing's charge to engage the right brands, as opposed to marketing just saying, well, hey, there's intent, salesperson now go sell. That's a big mistake because you can't, as a salesperson or as an SDR, say, you know, hey, Jeremy, I noticed that SalesLoft was doing heightened levels of research on ERP. Uh, I'd love to sell to you. That's a terrible talk track and one that feels... You know, realistically, it feels very creepy. But for a marketer to say like, oh, I understand that sales office is looking for an ERP software. I'm going to start marketing them, whether through a digital ad or email or direct mail piece. I'm going to start marketing to them why, you know, we have the best ERP solution or a comparison between our brand and the other ERP vendors that are out there. 
And it's really an opportunity to go educate that account on what your offering is, the fact that you exist as a brand, and then track how they engage back with the brand, then utilize that behavioral data as a trigger. So it's really, let's put a piece of data in between, let's market to everybody and let's market to a smaller group of people. And then when those brands engage, then I hand it off to a salesperson. If someone had a content download and then you reached out to them, right? I mean, people figured out that that was kind of an icky thing to do unless it was uh, enough engagement. Then I love the parallel that you drew from that to third-party intent data where just because people are hanging out on G2 Crowd doesn't mean that they necessarily are ready to talk to a salesperson. If I get that buying third-party account intent data, rather than reaching out and saying, hey, I noticed someone from your account was checking us out on XYZ third-party site, what if you just use that as a trigger to be thoughtful on timing? You might still engage them the same way you would someone else with an outbound cadence, but you don't necessarily reference how you figured that out. To be clear, I don't have an issue with that. I think the issue that I have is with intent data providers saying, if this happens, then it's the right time to call on a salesperson I think it lets marketing off the hook in a way that's a little bit naive. And so as a marketer, you could just sit back and say, well, we've identified all the target accounts. Now these are the target accounts that are exhibiting intent. I'm going to call that an MQL and wash my hands of it. It's not enough to, as a marketing department, collect data and then drop it into the lap of your salesperson and say, now it's your turn, go for it. When in reality, the marketing department didn't do anything. People need to be educated on who you are, what your differentiator is, why they should be looking at your solution. That education needs to come from the marketing department before marketing is saying, hey, I'm now off the hook. It's up to you now. That's a distinction that I'm trying to make. I think it would be fine for a salesperson to reach out. In fact, at times in our business, when we were a little bit less sophisticated on the demand gen side, that's exactly what we did. And we built talk tracks that were softer in their approach around, hey, we understand that you know, you're looking for solutions like this. You know, we never came at it that, that heavy-handed. But we did have you know, SDRs to the manual reach out or, or some of our account executives to the manual reach out based upon that data. So I think that's fine. What I don't think is fine is saying, hey, a target account showing intent, salesperson, now it's your job to kick in. And oh, by the way, if you don't, I'm going to set up SLAs that say you're not doing your job. I follow on the more patient approach where marketing maybe needs to do a little bit more speech head softening. At what point do you figure out that it's time to actually ship that MQL over to the sales team? Ultimately, it just depends. It depends on what buying signals actually look like for your brand. But I think this kind of goes back to how do you build a scoring model around behavioral data? but also consider the fact that a brand is exhibiting intent. And what does that look like? How do you recreate it from, hey, this is an unknown person who's now come to our website and done X, Y, and Z. We think that that means it's MQL ready to, hey, this is a brand that's looking for a solution like this. And oh, by the way, we drove engagement. And so a bunch of their leads have landed on our website. It varies from brand to brand. The thing that I have found here at EverString is if we can find a target account that's exhibiting intent, and if we can engage them through a multitude of channels from the marketing side, whether that's direct mail, digital ads, ads on LinkedIn, or email, 
that person comes back and takes action, some sort of action, whether that's a content download or a visit to a page that's indicative of buying behavior on our site, then at that point, we'll hand it off. I think you can be a little bit less specific around what they do behaviorally as an individual once they come to your website, because you know that that account is at the very least searching for something. I think what we've found here and some of our customers who have been successful utilizing a very similar methodology is, you know, when an account's a good fit, when it has intent, and then when it has engagement, the buying cycles reduce dramatically, the ASP increases dramatically. I'd love to talk a little bit about the pluses and minuses of having sort of every little data factoid about what's going on, right, which has the benefit of having a lot of information but has the disadvantage of being a lot of information versus the single score, which salespeople will sometimes complain is just too much of a black box. Dealing with your clients and prospects, how do they resolve that tension between the amount of data and the digestibility, if you will, of the data? It's a different type of funnel. If I go Back to my Marketo days, we created a single score built on two different dimensions. One, demographic. What was a person's title? What industry did they work in? Where were they located? And then behavior. So was it a good lead? And then were they doing something interesting? The complexity of, of combining all four of those elements into a single score creates just what you alluded to earlier, this concept of black box where, you know, this is a 10 and this is a one. And what does that mean, actually? Like, is that person just a really good person? Do they fit our ICP perfectly? Uh, or is the account really good? Or do they have a lot of, you know, behavior on our website? Or is their brand looking for a solution like ours? Essentially, just handing over a numerical score to a salesperson and saying, figure it out, doesn't track well. So having a more multidimensional score where you're saying, hey, this person is, they're in the right role. They work at a company that looks like these three customers that we've closed. They've been on our website, downloaded this piece, and looked at our pricing page. And their brand is actually looking for a solution like ours. To me, separating those out for a modern salesperson makes a lot of sense because they can make decisions based upon that data in terms of who they want to follow up, how they want to follow up, what type of you know cadence they would want to use. Do they want to focus on multiple people within that brand or just a single person? And I think more and more salespeople are hip to that and want that. They want to understand all the dimensions as individual data sets as opposed to one sort of amalgamation of all that information. They sort of build on top of each other like pyramids. If the company's a bad fit, none of the other data matters. So start off by understanding if the company is actually a good fit, number one. Number two, do you even have those leads and contacts in your CRM? If not, you got to get them in there. Number three, are they looking for a solution that seems like something that you would sell? And has the person, the right person from that brand actually come by and engage with you? What I'm selling here is a very complicated way of going to market for marketers. But I think that is a very customer first and very customer centric way of going to market by essentially saying, hey, we've got a solution that meets your needs. We know you're looking, you're the right person and you know who we are, so let's start a dialogue. Where do you think the world of B2B account and contact platform data is going to? What problems are there that still need to be solved? Salespeople and SDRs experience these problems firsthand. 
there's a lot of them. And anybody who's managed an SDR team or been an SDR or is an AE who's supported by an SDR knows what, what a lot of this is, which is there's a lack of data. A lot of brands struggle to pull it all together. And I don't mean like this complex data, like intent and behavior that we're talking about. I'm just talking about that basic what are the accounts that matter and who are the people at those accounts that matter and how do we bring them together and have emails and phone numbers for everybody in a way that allows an SDR or an AE to just sit down and do their job. That's still a big struggle. And there's brands that have been around for hundreds of years who have been trying to solve this and they haven't. There's going to be a moment in the not too distant future where you'll be able to go to a single data provider who can tell you these are the brands that matter the most. These are the brands that are in market. These are the contacts at those brands that have the purchasing power or are the decision makers. And here's all their contact information. So go for it. To me, just like the simple, who do I go after and how do I get a hold of them is still a big problem that almost everybody is suffering from. And I do think that that will be solved very quickly. And I think as it becomes solved, it's going to lean more into where do I engage with them? And that will become sort of the next challenge that hopefully some brand will be out there to solve. But I think there's a number of brands, ours included, that are out there trying to solve that initial problem of just, here's an account that matters, here's the people at that account that matter, and here's their phone number and email. So marketing goes, you know, engage them, salespeople go sell. I almost feel like those are progressively solvable. Which companies do I go after? Currently, plenty of sellers, whether they're SDRs, AEs, what have you, spend an inordinate amount of time on that. And that is a feels like a much more easily solvable problem. The next one, which is who are the actual people inside of those places? I mean, LinkedIn Sales Navigator is probably the, the best source of that. But then you need to spend all this time gluing that together with other sources like the stuff that comes from Discover Org or Zoom Info or what have you, right? So that's a trickier thing because it's still a big wasteful thing. And then how do I engage those people is, is by far, I think, the most complex problem to know at the individual level what's the best possible way to reach this person. I think you're talking about a couple different problems all kind of woven together, which is how do I bring it all into a system of record like CRM? And then how do I merge that data with what I'm doing on the marketing side? which has its complexities by channel, what's happening in digital, what's happening in email, what's happening in real life, and how do I marry that all up in, in a workflow that makes sense where I've got this dream state vision that exists where like SDR sits down as they come into work, they've got their 25 or 50 leads that they want to call, the email has been validated, the phone number has been validated, and they can just work. There's all these great brands that have made you know, that work easier, more efficient, you know, easier to track and measure. But the piece that exists before that is still complicated. And yes, there are brands that are out there trying to solve it, but I still don't think anyone has solved that. I guess the ultimate thing is imagine that the super crystal ball thing of a Bob gave you the accounts, gave you the people, loaded up the appropriate cadences with the right touches and so on. The AI future could be that those touches were actually conducted you know, not even by a human. That feels very, very down the road to me, however. Yeah, I think people still want to engage with other people. And so a person who can sort of expand their ability, their knowledge through great pieces of technology, I think is always going to be more powerful. I make the analogy that like, 
even though marketing automation isn't AI, it's not a machine, people know when it's coming from marketing automation, even if it's a plain text email versus when it's coming from a person. There's some underlying information or human learning that prospects are sort of wielding where they understand like, nah, this came from Pardot or this came from Marketo versus, oh, this came from a person. And leaning into that, I think, is, is more critical now than ever. The sort of human side of selling will always be important, at least while buyers still buy the way they do. The AI piece, I mean, feels like it's more relevant in the transactional buying world. And you already see this. I'd much rather order my Starbucks from my hotel room and then walk down the block to go pick it up and it's ready than to stand in line. I mean, that's a, just sort of a, a casual example of that. But if I'm going to make a $100,000 or even, you know, probably even less than that, $20,000 or higher purchasing decision, where these days you need, you know, CFOs or senior folks get involved in signing most contracts, right? My neck is on the line if that implementation doesn't go well. My neck is on the line if we don't get the ROI that we were expecting. Yep. I'm going to want to talk to a person if I'm making that decision. I'd find that very unlikely to change. I totally agree with you. And from a B2C perspective, things that are transactional make the most sense to be purchased through an AI machine, a set of rules, whatever. But even think for individuals who are making a big purchase, right? Like I make a car analogy all the time. You know, for somebody who's thinking about buying, you know, a Honda Civic. Not to say that there's anything wrong with the car. It's a very good car, but it's it comes at a lower price point than some others. Probably going to research that online. You'll go to any number of these like car buying sites to find the best price. Then you'll show up and you'll buy it. If you're buying a Porsche or a Ferrari or something of that nature, you still want to go to the showroom. You want to get into it. You want to feel the Corinthian leather. You want to touch that steering wheel. You want to press all the buttons on, on the dash and experience it for yourself before just you know making a transaction. And to me, like software on the B2B side is very similar. If you're like, hey, I need to buy a project management suite from Monday.com or from Asana, you'll probably just go to the website and buy it. And it's $20 a license per head. If you're going to buy an ERP solution to sort of lean into the analogy we made earlier and you're going to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars, you're still going to need that person to walk you through it. You're going to want to talk to customers. You're going to want to see case studies, third-party analysis of the product. It's just a different way of buying. And to me, like I've built my career on that more considered purchase. And so new types of data are becoming essential to that and figuring out how to wield them and operationalize them to build trust and efficiency between sales and marketing is more critical today than ever. Well, Matt, it was such a pleasure talking to you as it always is. If people want to learn more about EverString or get in touch with you or find out what content you're putting out there, how should they do that? So go to everstring.com. You can hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm just my own name there. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at mattya 56 I do tend to talk about business quite a bit there. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.